Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Health Excel podcast. I'm Chandana from Health Excel. And I'm Martin from Health Excel. Joining us today is Megan Coda from the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. Megan is quite the celebrity these days in the digital health world. Uh, she's making a face at me right now, but you have questions coming, Megan. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, looking back a few weeks ago when I met you for the first time, quite late, I'd say, in the game. But then I stuck you on LinkedIn a little bit leading up to this podcast because I wanted to know what the hell I should be talking to you about. And I discovered that you're a pharmacist. So please educate us on how a pharmacist becomes the uh, director of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance and how this journey came about. Well, I just assumed it was a normal process for you to go to pharmacy school, not practice pharmacy, and then start (laughs) an organization about 10 years later. So for me, it made complete sense. Uh, When I was uh, younger, I was encouraged to pursue something in the healthcare field, and that really has been my passion for quite some time. Uh, But merging my experience as a healthcare provider on the pharmacy side alongside of this technology space and trying to find a way to bring together something that when you can make smart decisions and cool products that affect many people in a really positive way, I just fell in love with that idea. Mm-hmm. So that's a very vague way of what led me to the space. So was it fam- was it family who suggested you go into medicine or go suggested into is a light way to say it. <laughs> I was only allowed to go into the health okay, profession. Okay, this is the only option. But I could choose any health profession of my choice. Okay. So as a middle schooler. Wild. I followed around an open heart surgeon for a day or two, and I saw open heart surgery. I could watch everything. I could watch them sign the individuals open. But when they put the IV in the person's arm, I passed out. So I decided that was not my profession. And eventually, pharmacy felt like home as much as any other profession would. So as a middle schooler, I became a pharmacist. Oh, wow. So you sure you didn't grow up in in an Indian household? (laughs) No, my parents were accounting and insurance, and okay. they realized the value of the ongoing necessity of a healthcare job at Far into the Future. Okay. A very pragmatic. Very good. Good. Great. So and you went in and you practiced or, or no? I was a pharmacy technician for about eight years, okay. and uh, while I was in pharmacy school, I experienced an opportunity to actually do an internship with the World Health Organization, oh, okay. and that was that pivotal turning point in my time where I really started to find something exciting about this policy space. And there is something more to global health and this broader world that I didn't even know existed. So I had intended to practice and then things diverted a bit. And then I ended up doing healthcare policy in Washington, D.C. for about eight years with two stints at two tech startups um, in between there. Great. And where did you grow up, Megan? In the Midwest. And then you went to France, and then you oh my were dear. in Washington. No, no. So uh, Midwest, I did my residency in D.C. and spent a good amount of time there. I married a lovely, charming man who likes to travel with his job, I later found out. So I spent a year in San Francisco. I spent some time in France as a result of his job. So I followed um, as his job led, and okay. that led me to some of the tech startups and opened my eyes to this other side of the world that I had no idea existed either. So you worked for Volantis in France, and I think a lot of people don't know that. And that's kind of what led you into the digital therapeutic space. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so I worked for Valentis. I started on, I believe, May 1st. And on May 2nd, I found out what they were doing with this alliance and found out that they, Pierre Laurent, the CEO, had brought together this really close group of individuals to figure out how do we set foundations for this new industry and how do we set best practices and what really is a digital therapeutic? And so, yeah, by day two, I found out about this. And by day three, I was pretty much ready to ask them to give it to me to take over and launch. <laughs> so it took a few months for me to get all the frameworks in place. But so, yes, I worked for Valentis, but by day three, I already had a different mission. Wow. Wow. No. That was fast. (laughs) (laughs) It was a fantastic, it was, it was one of those things where everything just converged at the right time and place in terms of, I had the healthcare background and the policy interest and loved the idea of taking digital into a really scalable, meaningful way that had health outcomes associated with it and evidence. And there was just so much, it was just perfect. So yes, by day two, I figured out that's what I want to do the rest of my life with. Great. So I guess if we're going to get a bit serious about digital therapeutics, yes. so maybe we should try and understand what is a digital therapeutic uh, in the eyes of the alliance, right? Just to clarify to everybody, because a lot of people seem to be jumping on the bandwagon, but we want to, I guess, distinguish between a digital therapeutic and just any digital health asset, right? So the digital health space is broad and wide and immense, um, mm. Pretty much everything that could be related to healthcare that has a digital aspect to it is digital health. So there really was the value for the alliance to come together and start to say, let's really create a meaningful definition that we people can recognize and have immediate understanding and expectation of what that product is if it is a digital therapeutic. So we're looking at products that are using software to generate an intervention that is delivered directly to a patient that is making the claim to prevent, manage, or treat a medical disease or disorder. And that whole process has to be evidence-based and supported by quality systems and design standards and all these other principles we talk about, um, we can mention later. Uh, But that really is at the core of it. Software, delivering interventions, making claims to actually treat and address a medical disorder or disease state, and always evidence-based. And where do you think we are as an industry with that? Because a lot of people are questioning if digital therapeutics have robust evidence that has gone through the rigor like a pharmaceutical uh, drug would. Uh, Where do you think we are? We as a group have really aligned around the idea that digital therapeutics should meet the same standards Mm -hmm. as any other medication or therapy out there that is validated. So... There are some companies who have been in this space for quite some time, and they have really shown strong, meaningful, impressive outcomes. There are other companies that are developing their products right now, and they're on that pathway to doing so. And then likely there are others out there who like the name Digital Therapeutics. It sounds fun. They're going to say that they are. And they likely haven't done all of the work that many of these other companies are doing. So... I think within the Alliance, what I love is that there is this passion and drive to really align around what does evidence-based mean? What does clinically validated really mean? How do we get these incorporated into clinical guidelines? How do these work alongside of medications or even in place of medications? So as soon as you start to make those claims, the companies that are working within the Alliance are really dedicated to this idea of let's make sure that there is that rigor there and that we're all working on the same 
from the same playbook together on this. So no two products will look alike, but the evidence standards that they all have to adhere to should all be the same. And that's really, I think, one of the core things that the alliance is doing. How does it work? Because um, many of them are competitors in the alliance, right? Yeah, and we like competition. <laughs> good, good. And, and how do you... How do they draw the line between what's good as an industry to talk about and share versus what's commercially sensitive and they want to look after? So how do you guys manage that kind of natural tension? So within the alliance, antitrust is very, is a serious issue. So I would never talk about what an individual product is doing or how that product should come to market. But when we're starting to map out the level or the types of trials you're doing, so what type of verification trials do you have to do? What type of validation? What type of usability trials? What type of randomized control trials should you do or whatnot? The list goes on. But talking about the classes of trials, I think, is the way that we're breaking that down from that perspective. So what cuts across all products, no matter who you are, if you're going to be saying you're going to be delivering an intervention to a patient, you have to prove that it's effective, that it is safe. So we're looking at how do you actually prove those points. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not saying anything specific about diabetes or autism or ADHD. We're keeping this at a much higher industry level as opposed to a disease-specific or product-specific level. So, Megan, um, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't be wrong in saying I'm an optimist. All three of us in this room are optimists. We kind of live in a digital health bubble. All of us were talking about it. Sometimes we wear our cynical hat on. But ultimately, right, in order for digital therapeutics to be widespread and to be the norm, we need adoption by patients, by physicians. There needs to be buy-in from everybody. So what do you think we should be doing to achieve that? That really is at the core of what our alliance is trying to do. So the first year of our alliance was really focused on, let's create the definition of what a digital therapeutic is. What are the core principles they should all abide to? What are the best practices that are out there? And we're still carrying that work on, um, albeit now in a few different work streams focused on the clinical validation, the operations perspective, the quality and regulatory and the value sides. But my job as part of DTA really isn't focused on building up any specific individual digital therapeutic companies' platforms or their products. That is not my focus. My focus is on building this definition and this foundation to really start to educate payers, healthcare providers, patients, and regulatory agencies. So what we're trying to do is drive consistency in how these are evaluated and regulated and consistency in how these are understood. So I think one example would be looking at the healthcare payer space in that healthcare payers are being assaulted, for lack of a better word, by hundreds of companies on a weekly basis with digital health technologies of any sort and variety. So one of my goals is to start to provide them with information. A, what is, is a digital therapeutic? Is this tool in front of me a digital therapeutic or is it a digital health tool? Is it a diagnostic? Is it an adherence product? I think starting to build those categories will start to help payers and healthcare decision makers get a sense of this is what that is. This is how I respond to it. This is what I should expect. This is how I should approach this company in response. Um, After that, then, if it is a digital therapeutic, what questions should they be asking? What should they be looking for in terms of evidence, in terms of that patient engagement, Mm -hmm. and in terms of outcomes? Um, And then that list can carry on for quite some time. But 
that is one of our, my main goals really is to start educating those individuals who are going to be really enabling this to happen. Because to your point, we could talk about this all day long for years to come and get nowhere if no one else understands what we're talking about. But I think as a physician or as a patient, I don't really care if it's a digital therapeutic right. or a digital something else, right? So I'm not convinced that disseminating the knowledge on the definition is necessarily... Or, or, the, or enough, right? Or, yeah, yeah, not yeah. sure that's enough. Yeah, right, right. Uh, what do you think about that? So I think it does still come down to expectations. So it could be any digital tool, to your point. But I think a healthcare provider or a patient should know what to expect of that product. If that product is meant to keep you adherent to your medications, that is going to be different than if that product is meant to diagnose your child's right. early form of autism. Yeah. Right. Compared to if a product is claiming to improve your asthma outcomes by a certain percentage of points. So I do think that idea of that education does matter to some degree because how I would approach something that's claimed to treat one of my diseases versus claiming to keep me on my specific medication for another six days, those are going to be two different sets of expectations and how I engage with it. So I do think there is some degree of education that does need to be had. Uh, but yes, Eventually, people have talked about, similar to banking, you don't call it e-banking anymore. It is just banking, but done through a digital format. Right. I think right. healthcare will eventually get to that point where healthcare is just done as it is, but it will be done through a digital format, and that's not surprising. But I think in that run-up to that phase when we're finally there, it could be surprising to have a digital product prescribed for you? And how do you engage with that? And what do you do? And do you do anything different? Is it different than a fitness wearable that just tracks information but tells you nothing? So there are a lot of nuances there. Right. So I do think education is important. But yes, as an industry, we do need to grow into that sense that this is just normal healthcare being delivered with a higher level of quality than we've seen before and a higher level of outcomes than we've ever been able to realize. Yeah, I think it's a progression. You know, there's a lot of confusion in the market about all these different things and where do they fit. So actually trying to get these categories is really important. But I think, you know, if, you, if we want to go in and convince payers, then we're going to have to show them that it reduced costs or it'll help them keep their customers longer. You know, so I think it's really interesting, like what the next step is beyond the definitions. What's the next step in terms of engaging those different communities, whether it's patients or payers or, or physicians. And be interesting kind of how you guys are thinking about that. Is that something within your remit or is that something that individual companies got to take on afterwards? I think that that burden does fall onto our alliance in many ways. For us to collectively educate payers and collectively educate healthcare providers, it's really important for us to be able to meet payers where they're at. So providing tools such as a formulary submission template for them, I think would be of significant value. Good. So there are many other ways that we will go about this as we evolve as our alliance. Um, but I think those are some of the starting points we're looking at right now. Great. That's great. How are you thinking in terms of reimbursement? Do you want to be a body that will help uh, certify or will you work closely with existing uh, regulatory bodies to help people get certification maybe or um, go through the steps? We as DTA are not a certification body. I will never put a stamp of approval on a specific product, but we are laying out the pathways for companies to follow in order to undergo that regulatory clearance when they arrive at that time and place. Okay. So 
In general, I think it's really important for us to build that cohesion across what regulatory agencies are doing and support them in their efforts. Uh, we've seen the FDA in the U.S., for example, NHS and the U.K. side really being strong and leading the way. Yeah. And my goal is to support them in any way possible. And how do you guys think about U.K. versus U.S. versus other geographies? I would love in my ideal world to see there be cohesion across these regulatory agencies and the way that they regulate their products. Mm. So whatever we can do to promote that is really valuable. Software is a medical device. It's a term that was created by, by IMDRF, and that framework applies to digital therapeutics, and we fall under that perfectly. My goal really is to figure out best ways to take lessons learned from the FDA and the UK and France and Germany and Australia and bring it together in a way that makes sense for our industry to move forward. So a lot of work to be done yet. But Do you see emerging markets or is there any interesting stuff happening in any of the emerging markets? There's a lot of interesting things happening in a lot of places. Uh, digital therapeutics, as they are defined, probably haven't been as addressed directly as they could be. Okay. Yeah, but it's, I mean, I wouldn't even blame you because a lot of these emerging markets, having grown up in one anyway, they lack that sort of regulation anyway. Um, sometimes it's just uh, a suggestion of what is right. So um, it might be hard to put everything in the same bucket. I've actually seen different companies coming from what we would call emerging markets here and undergo the FDA clearance process because hmm. their regulatory agencies within their own countries said, we know that there is a standard and let if you could meet that standard, we will okay. acknowledge that standard. That's right. So yeah. I've actually seen the FDA or even NICE NHS on the mm. UK side serving somewhat as that body. Um, there, there's no other certification body stepping in. Yeah. So that's really the FDA and other markets who have been taking the lead are really seen as the leaders. And many are looking to them to figure out what next steps need to take place as they start to scale these in their own jurisdictions. Great. Okay. If you want to look at the type of disease areas that digital therapeutics are playing in, right? So one of the things that we found in the report that we did recently, um, the Health Excel Digital Therapeutics Report, was that mental health and behavioral health is really sort of the low-hanging fruit because we're seeing a lot of activity there for digital therapeutics. Do you think that that's the area that's most ripe for adoption? Is that why there's so much activity? Or is this quite widespread in terms of other diseases that are being addressed? So the pioneering founding digital therapeutic companies in this industry were actually in diabetes and asthma, so not even in the traditional behavior space. Why I think behavioral is important is that there are so many unmet medical needs in that space. So again, as a pharmacist, I support the use of medications, but there are very few medications that can address the depth and breadth of issues that digital therapeutics can address. It's important to note, though, that digital therapeutics treat many more disease states and conditions than just the mental health and behavioral space. So when I pulled together a list of all of the topics that our companies were looking at, uh, ideas came up in terms of concussion and diabetes and GI issues and hypertension and insomnia and multiple sclerosis to obesity and oncology, Parkinson's disease, schizophrenia, stroke rehabilitation. A traumatic brain injury. So when you're looking at that spectrum, I just don't want people to think that it's only one type of product. The variety is pretty significant across the board. But it's one thing to have an idea, but quite the other to actually have 
a useful and pragmatic product, right? So do you think maybe mental health is going to be our first low-hanging fruit? That's the first digital therapeutic that patients can access and use uh, to their benefit. And then slowly, we kind of expand the capability to include um, these other conditions. To your point, yes. But looking at those that all already are on the market. Uh, Propeller Health is an example that is in the asthma and COPD space. And they have done really impressive work where they've worked with even the city of Louisville to look at it from population health level, not just the patient level. So they've come away with outcomes of improving the patient's asthma outcomes by up to 50% and decreasing their rescue and healer utilization by up to 70%. So while mental health, yes, will be big, we've already seen a lot of really strong numbers and outcomes in the asthma and diabetes spaces too. Okay, that's great. Maybe we'll just touch a little bit on business models, but you've kind of alluded to this in that you saw um, we can have digital therapeutics that are standalone because they claim that they can treat a certain condition or manage it completely independently. And then there are those that go hand in hand with an existing drug or molecule to uh, augment or complement the capabilities. Which one do you think is is viable or why? And where do you see the industry going? I would say both because that's an easy answer to give. But when you're looking at these, they're going to be integrated into clinical guidelines. They're going to be integrated into workflows. So you're not going to have just one digital therapeutic treating one thing, and that's all the industry has the capability to deal with. You're going to see these really start to spread across a variety of areas. And I think that's what makes this industry exciting. But to the point, though, if you're making any of these claims, you have to be backing them up with evidence. And these tools are really strong at providing that real-world evidence, too. So what does this look like in real life? is going to be really the strong suit of digital therapeutics as opposed to just on the front end of the pre-market, pre-validation side of does this even work? Yes, it needs to work, but then companies will continue to see how it's improving as the patients continue to use them and as utilization grows. So maybe the partnership with pharma is a nice way for them to have that support system in place to help gather this evidence and go through all the steps that they need to Uh, to be validated and become available? When you're looking at pharma partnerships, I think most pharmaceutical companies and life science companies know that they have a role to play in this. I don't think they all know what exactly that is quite yet. But ideally, when you look at a pharma company working alongside of a digital therapeutic company, they're looking at that whole spectrum of that initial idea and where does this therapy fit and how is it validated and what types of studies do we do all the way through to how do we scale and integrate these into workflows and practices. So I think it's a long continuum of how pharma companies will work alongside digital therapeutic companies, but there will be no one model that fits every single partnership. Everything will still be a little bit unique, but there will be, I think, that consistency over time where you'll see more partnerships, be it on the technology side or pharma side, working alongside and becoming a part of the life cycle of a digital therapeutic product. I mean, I'm personally so passionate about this subject that I can keep talking to you for the rest of the day, but I guess we'll have to wrap it up. But before we go, if we were not chatting with Megan Coder from the Alliance today, what Megan would we be speaking with? I think you'd be speaking to someone who still has a passion for the healthcare space and the technology space and bringing them together. I don't think without this alliance, I'm not sure I would have found it 
found that marriage of these two worlds so perfectly anywhere else. So this has been something that I've really loved to step into. I love the Mm. people in it. I love the vision. I love the potential. I love that the mission of this, I don't even know what my mission is. I know that we're achieving something that is bigger than what I've been able to dream up yet. And I love that. Great. So when we're looking at where we're going from here, I'm not sure where I'm going to be next. I don't know. But I would... I just have loved the path so far, and I'm so grateful to be on this path. That's a great answer. And I think that's a great answer, yeah, too, that that's a great answer. you wouldn't be doing anything yeah. any different. And yeah. that's a great place to be. Yeah. So, Megan, I mean, you've done a great job, and the Alliance has done a great job cat- capturing people's imagination, you know, and I've I've fielded lots of calls from people saying, I want to talk to the Alliance. I'm interested in participating. So congratulations and keep going with your passion. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Megan. That was interesting, right? I mean, I know we've been wanting to talk to Megan and kind of pick her brains on as the person who's heading the alliance, how does she see the world? Yeah. What do you think we should take home from this conversation? I think a, a couple of things struck me. I mean, one like the decision within sort of two or three days that this is what she was going to go after. So I think that's, uh, yeah, that's great because it just shows that like the passion and the enthusiasm and stuff. So I think that was really interesting. And, you know, this is probably the hottest topic at the moment and the alliance has kind of captured everybody's imagination. So it's interesting to think about like what are the steps that we need to get to, you know, what are the you know, the short-term and medium-term steps we need to get to to kind of rally everybody around it. And I think what kind of came out for me in the whole conversation was just that passion and excitement and commitment to it. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what it takes, right? You got you to gotta believe and you got to have energy. So I think, I think it was a really interesting 30 minutes. Absolutely. All right, folks, thanks for your time. 